Well, good morning. As, uh, as was mentioned, I, my name is Skylar Adams, and I'm the Reformed University Fellowship Campus Minister at East Carolina University. If that was an entire tongue twister for you, and yet um, you're interested on the campus, I'd love to talk to you about what God's doing, what this church is doing at ECU um, and even Pitt Community College. So I'm glad to be here. I, if you're familiar with the uh, pretty famous Instagram handle, Preachers and Sneakers, I was going for that this morning. It's a, it's a handle that promotes um, the heretical gospel prosperity preaching of, um, of some people that are really uh, confusing believers around the world. Um, no, not at all. Uh, but I figured I would get that out of the way uh, in case I was a bit of a distraction in that way. Um, if you're new this morning, uh, as I'm not the pastor here, um, and my family and I are so glad to be here. Uh, and if, but if you are new, I, I want to extend not a perfunctory, but a sincere welcome to you. I pray that this, this whole thing um, that we Christians call worship would be of comfort to you and that you would actually find it to be meaningful. Um, I pray that perhaps um, there would be something um, that, that you take away. Um, and if you are a Christian visiting, welcome. We hope that you find good company here. And we're glad to worship with you. All right, let's move uh, toward God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to uh, Psalm 121. Or you can grab your phone, uh, your iPad, whatever you like to, to read God's Word from. And on your way there, uh, I want to sort of try to give us an introduction uh, to that. Hopefully it's not a false alarm, but perhaps COVID's uh, effects is beginning to subside. Who knows how many variants will continue to result. Uh, nevertheless, uh, maybe your summers have looked somewhat more familiar to years past. Maybe that meant that you've been able to take some vacations. And maybe that meant that you were able to do that road trip that you had done each and every year. And I want to ask you about this phenomenon that I experience on road trips. See if you connect with it before we read our passage. Each and every time my family will travel to the beach, it's about the time that we get, we're approaching the intercoastal waterway, and we sort of crest the, the bridge that actually brings us onto the island, that all of a sudden there's this lift that happens inside, like, I'm almost there. Um, the are you there yet, sir, about to, to be answered. And uh, it's sort of exciting, right? I remember this as a kid. Maybe there's a place you go and you go around a turn or, or whatever it is. Maybe there's a landmark that you see. And, and when you see it, you know that you're almost there. My family and I had the privilege of traveling uh, to the mountains recently. And similarly for me, about an hour, hour and a half out, the misty blue ridge will come into view. view. Same effect. Sort of this lift, this we're almost there. I think it's quite possible that this effect is somewhat ancient. And as we're going to read in this text, I think God's people, as they were traveling toward Jerusalem, making their way uh, to celebrate whatever feast it may have been, Passover perhaps, that as they saw the city come into view, they had this lift. Let's experience it together. From God's Word, Psalm 121. If you don't have it, I think it's behind me. Hear God's word. A song of ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and it's given to you in love. Let's pray. Father, we have read the lyrics to your song for us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would add some music to those words. That our souls would soar with delight this morning as we hear the gospel. Jesus, would you make yourself known. Father, glorify him. Holy Spirit, help us to see him for his glory. Amen. We're going to dive right in. This, this first question, right, in verse 1, from where does my help come? It feels a little perfunctory, right? It feels like it could be lip service. I wonder if you know, maybe it's just trying to, to say, to ask, you know, the rhetorical question in Sunday school, right? If you grew up in church, it was always, it was never a bad answer to say Jesus or God. And yet something that I want us to see before we arrive on the banks of the promise of this text is to see that this was no perfunctory question. This was not just something to make us sound religious or spiritual. This was a plea for help. And I want you to find your place having that same plea. All right? So, as you know, let me remind you, in ancient Palestine, they, they didn't have cars or buses or any sort of metal container to help them travel between places. And if they didn't have cars, they didn't have air conditioning or heat. And they certainly didn't have cell service. They didn't have that Bucky's, if anyone's from Texas, that sheets. They didn't have these convenient marts to, to grab something to eat or drink. Ancient travel was not an adventure filled with creature comforts. Their children didn't have iPads. They walked with uncertainty, with angst, with fear. It was treacherous. And what I want you and I to hear as the question is asked from where does my help come, that that is our cry as well. That we're not simply being a religious group of people, but we're asking, God, where does my help come? And I want you to hear this morning that travel highlights vulnerability. Travel highlights vulnerability. My new supervisor, I'm getting to know, not Dave with RUF, uh, he, he and his wife love to hike. And 
I'm learning, I've heard a couple of stories about the hikes that he'll go on, um, you know, like 14er type hikes. And sometimes they'll be gone overnight, I think. And he'll share the story that he and his wife, before they, they, they begin their hike, they'll, they'll leave a very rough draft of their last will and testament on the dash of their car. They've got, they've got a few kids and they're like, hey, if anything happens to us, you know, if someone finds our car, they'll know what to do, right? Same story, my family went, like I said, out to the mountains and out there, there was no cell service. Uh, so without really thinking about it, somewhat instinctively, my wife and I shared the landline number of that place with our family, right? Because once we got there, there was no more messaging, right? It was, if you need us or we need you, this is what, this is how you can connect with us. Those are two very basic examples pointing to a very real truth that we all know, that travel, travel highlights our vulnerability. And yet when we zoom out and we think about not travel in a very, uh, you know, in, in this actual context of God's ancient people actually making their way to Jerusalem, like they actually traveled that. But when we think about sort of the more the metaphorical side of travel, right, the travel of your life, the journey that you take, right? So if you've not bought into what I've said already, perhaps this will help you. Like, as you think about your life, especially as you've lived a while, there have been some vulnerable moments in your life. You have not been in control. You've lost your way. You've, you've been harmed. You've been hurt. You've hurt yourself. You see, I, sometimes I, th- I hear stories of pastors who um, burn out, uh, commit terrible moral failure, um, you know, leave their churches, um, and in worst case scenarios, take their own life. And it makes me ask the question, am I going to make it? Not in a melodramatic way, like, but how, like, Lord, I, how do I be faithful? Maybe you've asked the same question as you think about peers in your profession. We all need help. One pastor put it this way, that there are about three basic categories of information that we consume. So take it or leave it. He's not a sociologist or anything, simple pastor, but I think they're helpful. I'm going to use them. One, uh, help in your field, your, your focus, right? If you're an attorney, it's briefs. It's some form of law material. If you're a doctor, it's a, perhaps a, a presentation of some sort of medicinal study. If you're a teacher, maybe it's a conference that you went to. If you're a student, it's, it's, the, it's the actual degree that you're pursuing, okay? That's, that's one section of content you receive. Another is simple entertainment, right? Dory and I finally watched The Sandlot together. That was just entertaining. And then third and finally, this idea of help, of self-help. Y'all know that the industry is booming. That if, if Amazon had bookshelves... You know, it, it, would be, it would be the size of, of, you know, football fields worth of vaults of material, right? Where, which podcast do you listen to? Which books do you read? Which, which sort of films do you watch to sort of help in these ways? We need help navigating loneliness. We need help navigating personal finances. We need help navigating that terrible, painful divorce. We need help navigating the raising of our kids and being friends. We need help are beginning to see that this question from where does my help come is not something that we just offer flippantly. 
but is indeed from the cry of one's soul. So, to what do you turn to for help? Or as this passage is going to ask, to whom do you turn to for help? Before we answer that question, before again we sort of really marinate on the promises of this beautiful passage, let me offer you just one piece of context as it relates to these hills, okay? Hills in, in, in the ancient context had a couple of connotations. And, and I want to name two of you, two of them for you. And it, either of these could easily be in view for the psalm writer, okay? The, the first of which is this sort of category of uh, criminal activity, okay? Um, we, we, we see David hiding in the hills as Saul pursues him. Saul saw him as a criminal. Of course he wasn't. He was anointed king of God. But see, this picture of hills is where people that are not genuine hide and lurk. We see the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's this picture of a traveler going down, not up, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's brutalized on his way. The hills highlighted a place where thieves and robbers could potentially be waiting for you. Like, literally, in their context. The other option, the other connotation for these hills is this idea of self-help, as I've mentioned. Now, not in the modern way of thinking about it, but in the ancient pagan worship way. We see, as God leads his people into the promised land, he says, get rid of all their shrines on the hills. Don't be tempted by those good-looking things. They're going to over-promise over and under-deliver. Get rid of them. We see that one of the evil kings of Israel, he would build these shrines on hills. The context was clear for God's people in this place. They see hills, and they're either having view this idea of some sort of cult, prostitute, idol worship, or that of danger. And yet the psalmist leaps beyond these hills, right? To the universe. And beyond the universe to the maker of the universe. All the way to the one who is in complete control of the hill. And here he finds living help, primary, personal, wise, and immeasurable help. Let's go there with him. This morning after you've wrestled with the fact that you need help, I want you to hear this. You are safe in Christ. You are safe in Christ. I'm getting that from verse 5 and verse 7, sort of distilling these points. And I think the way that the psalmist begins to speak of the safety that we have in God is he uses this word keep or keeper. He uses it six times. Keeper, keep, 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 keep. If he hasn't already preached a sermon, what is it? That God keeps his people. In the scary journey of life with uncertain circumstances and the future not totally known, the psalmist uses the word keep like rain to wash over our souls so that we can learn two things of God's comprehensive keeping and his constant keeping. All right? Let's look at that first one. He's, our God is a comprehensive keeper. 
And with this, what I want us to see is that the scope of his keeping is unending. It touches every facet of your life, and it does not let go. I want us to see the what of his keeping. All right, let's look at that. Verse 3, he will not let your foot to be moved. No doubt the, the Palestinian traveling on the rocky soil of that place that that she was bound to twist her ankle or stub her toe or fall and scrape her knee. Quite simply, God keeps your body. Like he keeps you, your body. Verse six, he's the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day. Y'all, the heat is real. Like that's, that, that's not a, that's not just a metaphor of like life's hard. Like look at the West, West Coast, right? I mean, people have died from heat exhaustion. And remember, these, these travelers don't have a car or air conditioning. Like the threat of the sun is real. Do you remember Jonah's sliver of redemption? There at the end of the story, it was a plant that had a leaf on it big enough to give him shade. Maybe you're one of those smart people that has like a chair at the beach that has a little awning on it. Like so you can go the whole day. Heat exhaustion is, is very real. And it's external to you. God is literally the shade of his people, which is to say, God keeps you, keeps you from external circumstances. God keeps your body, he keeps you from the elements, he keeps you from things from outside that want to move in. And then also in verse six, we have this couplet, and on the other side of the sun is what? The moon. Ancient writers would call this moonstroke, where we get our word lunacy. Have you ever driven late at night for a long time? I mean, it, it, it's kind of like mirages in a desert. Like you, if you've been up a long time and you sort of feel this sort of discombobulated fog, it's a very real threat that especially if you're traveling at night, that you wouldn't lose your mind. God keeps you emotionally. He keeps your body. He keeps those things that threaten your life from outside and he keeps your mind. And these two Parallel lines are a favorite in Hebrew poetry. Like when, when, a, when a Hebrew writer would, would uh, juxtapose two opposite realities, the, the intent was to tell you that he covers the, the whole in between. The totality is covered by naming the two opposite poles. And in case you didn't get that, in case we didn't intuitively arrive at that, verse 7, what does he say? I'll keep you from all evil. I'll keep your life. The promise of comprehensive care is not that we don't stub our toes or have heart attacks or that we're diagnosed with terminal cancer. Some of you in this room are acquainted with those realities in ways that are haunting. And the pain is real. And the shock is hard to really level in our minds. So what does it mean? What does it mean? I think we find our answer in a couple places. I want to start later and come back to closer. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, toward the end of it, he, he describes the church or, or an individual believer as, as like this sturdy house. Do you remember this story? And he says, but the rains hit it. You know, the Tar River flooded it. 
Um, the winds blew against that house. Tar River wasn't in mind, by the way, Matthew 7. But the house didn't move. Do you remember why? Because it was on the rock. Jesus was saying it was on him. It was on him. All right, now let's move closer. Perhaps something you've heard in a funeral, perhaps a favorite psalm of yours, and if it's not, I highly recommend it. Psalm 23. David says, even though I walk through evil, I won't be afraid. How in the, how is that possible? Because the rod of his shepherd defends him from all evil. And the staff of his shepherd subdues him to his soul where he is comforted. To put in another way, the, the promise of this comprehensive care is that the waters of the ocean cannot sink the ship unless it gets in. And God will not let it in. So we're buoys. He's our comprehensive keeper, and he's our constant keeper. All right, so the first was the scope, the what. Here we learn the manner. How in the world can he do it? We're asking not about the nature, but about the way in which he goes about accomplishing that. And I'm sure you've already seen this. You understand this right away. Verse 3 and 4. He who keeps you will not slumber he who keeps Israel will not slumber nor sleep. Our creator keeper doesn't get tired. Do you know that that's good news? Like, like really, do you know that that's good news? Maybe if there's a teacher in here or just maybe your supervisor or parent, I want to ask you this question. You don't, don't respond. Just answer in your mind. Do you, do you get tired of discipline? Like, maybe not physically tired, but like, do you get like sort of emotionally drained from like the anticipation of that conversation, the execution of that conversation or hand? And like, do you, do you get that sort of fatigue of discipline? You get tired? I want to answer that question in just a minute. I want to think about that for just a minute. But before we do, I want you to see where the context of him not getting tired is good news. So let's go back to the hills, all right? And, and, and the connotation I want you to have in mind is that of worship, worship that's not God. And so we see on top of these hills, we have shrines and altars and prostitutes. He would allure travelers who were tired by the sun or the moon or they broke their foot. And they're trying to seek safety and shelter. And against their better judgment, they wanted quick relief. Y'all, that's my life. <laughs> they would indulge in their desires. They would learn spells. They would purchase amulets and they'd have their fortunes told. It was a buffet of quick I like help. But there was one fatal problem. These darn things weren't always open. They had closed signs on them. Maybe they had a long night, so they didn't have time in the morning to open up and welcome travelers. 
They weren't a 24-7 business that was, had all the, the workforce to help them out. What God is saying in his answer to this question is I am fundamentally different than those cheap avenues we all pursue for help. I don't turn the I'm close sign on. I'm available. And I never get tired of you. Verse 8 says it's now and forever. I don't know what's more encouraging, the fact that he protects us from everything or the fact that it just doesn't end. He doesn't take a break. He's not waiting for you to make a move toward him. Because in Christ, you're safe today, tomorrow, and eternity. Now, I want to drill into this fatigue that I sort of asked this question about discipline and growing tired of it. And I just I want to say something that I hope is helpful to you. Perhaps I'm only preaching to myself, and that's okay. But God has not gotten bored of looking after you. Many of us will make us a religious mistake that life with God is a tip-for-tap game. It's a game of karma, functionally. It's a game of scratching God's back so that he'll be in your favor or worse, in your debt. I don't know where you are this morning, but I want you to hear the good news that he doesn't get tired of literally you. Literally. He, he's not bored of looking after you. He's not shifted his attention to a more exciting Christian. He's not disgusted with your meandering obedience and sort of somehow left you to fend for yourself for a while. We make the mistake of supposing that God's interest in us waxes and wanes like the moon according to the tidal temperature of our spiritual life. Or that God has gotten too busy. We can't believe that he would actually condescend to watch the soap opera of our lives. So we purchase our own remedies for that. And to ask him to deal with some of our problems, we think it's like asking a famous surgeon to put iodine on a scratch. That is not your God. Our sin is comprehensive and his frequency is constant. But the promise of this text is that in both directions, his keeping is more. There was one for whom this psalm ran out on. You could say the insurance lapsed. The, the claim was issued, but State Farm didn't come. There was one Israelite for whom this sweeping promise of keep, care, watch, protection did not apply. And it was the son. Hosea 11, 1. It is the son, his own son, so that you and I could be sons of the father. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Isaac, he protected. Have you ever wondered why tiny little Israel wasn't wiped off the face of the map? It's because of this God of the Bible. And from that group of people, an heir, the true heir of God, Jesus of Nazareth, 
He abandoned his son so that he could keep you. He abandoned his son so he could keep you. The help, the keeping, the guarding that we all crave is for those who know that they can't help keep guard themselves. They're increasingly convinced that their attempts at control leave them worried, hopeless, helpless, and afraid. This is exactly the place, the person upon which God intends to abandon his son and love you. I listened to um, one of my favorite pastors from a distance. He does not know who I am. Um, Brian Habig delivered a sermon a couple years ago, and he, he shared a quote. And I'm going to share the quote that he shares. It, it's true, and I'm going to share who it's from. Um, but before I do and sort of end, end our time, I, I sort of made mention of, not to make fun of, but we understand that in our cultural milieu, the, the whole idea of you know, podcasting and sort of finding the help that you need and securing it for yourself, right? And, and part of this sort of narrative of help is often geared uh, toward sort of uh, self-talk. Has anyone heard this before? Sort of like you begin to talk to yourself. You're kind to yourself. You tell yourself what's true, right? Well, Brian Habig quoted a pastor, a Welsh man who was a pastor in London for most of his life. Some of you uh, may know him, Martin Lord-Jones. And uh, he was on that before podcasters ever got there. He was, he was, he was dropping knowledge before anybody ever got behind a microphone uh, to give us this. And this is what he says. And this is, I hope, a, a way to apply um, what this promise is to us. And he says this, Have you realized, Christian, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The main art of the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, how to take yourself by the hand, have an address with yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You're at odds with this. Let me tell you when you are, when I am. When that scary news, uncertain news arrives, when that thing with with your child comes up, um, I don't know, whatever, as we've talked, that you find particular uh, sense of vulnerability toward, when that thing comes up, that often gets in a megaphone in your heart. And you begin to conflate it, right? It begins to come on top of what this actually promises to you. As Dory was reminding me recently from another pastor talking about a passage in Corinthians, not lost you yet, I, we often connect circumstances to identity. And this is precisely where the voice that you hear is the voice of yourself. And we have a discrepancy between your words and the words of Scripture. This morning, what, what we're begged to hear is that that diagnosis, that thing, is not 
connected to God's love for you. It is not. Do not connect that sad, disappointing, anxious reality to his care of you. You will. I do. And Martin Lloyd-Jones is inviting us to rehearse the words of Scripture in our souls so that we can parse that out. And may God's Spirit make it so. In Christ, you are safe. God is our comprehensive keeper. He keeps us all the way down from head, heart, hands. And he does it everlasting. And he doesn't grow tired Generally, as the creator, king of the world, and as your God. He is not disgusted, disgruntled, disappointed with you. How? Because he abandoned his son to keep you forever.